Why don't you turn to somebody next to you and say, joy. Tell them you need joy. Amen. He gives us joy. <laughs> he gives you joy. Somebody might need to tell themselves this morning, I have joy. Your face hasn't figured it out yet. Say, I have joy. good to be back this week I was uh, I had to rough it out in Orlando Florida so uh, at general council so uh, it was great we had a great uh, time at general council amazing to see um, just thousands of pastors and leaders and students with fine arts festival and on and on and on and on uh, it was a great time so thank you for your prayers and uh Somebody asked me, did you get caught in all of the airline drama? And uh, yes, I did. <laughs> but the Lord uh, took care of it, and I got back. So that, that's the main thing. But uh, anyway, if you have your Bibles, you can go to Psalms chapter, Psalms chapter 5. Excuse me, Psalms chapter 4. I'm looking at Psalms chapter 5, but I'm going to Psalms chapter 4. Psalms chapter 4. Uh, just as you're going there, let me see your Bibles. How many of you got your Bibles, your devices, whatever you're using? Awesome. Love the Word of God. Love that you have your Bibles, your devices. Um, while you're going there, I want to remind you, our evangelism teams go out the first Saturday of every month. They just went this weekend, had a great time, and uh, just going out in the community. And uh, we have a team going out again on the 28th. You say, well, that's not first Saturday. That's okay. We have, uh, there's some events here in the area that, you know, we just, we always are looking for opportunities where can we share our faith? Where, we're, where can we love on people? And so we're doing that again on the 28th at 10 a.m. Just meet here at the church. There'll be a brief uh, training time, and then you'll go out, and uh, our uh, pastors and leaders that are over that will take you out on the streets. It's going to be a lot of fun. So make sure to mark your calendar, August 28th, for uh, evangelism. In Psalms chapter 4, we find a, another uh, psalm written by David in the time of dealing with with Absalom. Many people think this was written as a, as a follow-up to Psalms chapter 3. If you remember, last week we talked about Psalms 3 and, and Absalom's rebellion. Absalom manipulated his way into the kingdom and manipulated his way into his father's palace. Um, and, and David finds himself walking through the Garden of Gethsemane. He's on his, he's on his way uh, out of the city and he finds himself walking through where Jesus prayed before, the, uh, before they took his life, before uh, he laid down his life, before he laid down his life, he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. So that's, where, that's where David is in this psalm, is in Psalms chapter 4. He's, again, praying and thinking about all that's happening. The, and I don't know if you have headings in your Bible. Some, some Bibles include the headings, some don't, some don't. But this is to the, the, the heading in mine, or the heading for this psalm, is to the chief musician on the Neganoth. And when, when you see that in Psalms, a, a lot of the modern translations leave out those headings. But those headings are really important. They give us an indicator of what David or, or whoever was writing the psalm was talking about. And so the chief musician, that would be like the worship leader. That would be Pastor Grace. It would be like me sitting down and writing out a psalm and, and saying to one of my armor bearers, bring this to the chief musician, bring this to Pastor Grace, and she's going to make sure that this gets on 
And the word that's used there in the Hebrew is the neganoth, which means the, the, what that would look like. It was stringed instruments played by hand, and uh, the, the worship leader or the chief musician would have cymbals. And so you would have the music, the psalm that David wrote set to strings with cymbals. And so it was a musical psalm that David had written and handed off to the worship leader. And this is what it is in Psalms chapter 4. In verse 1, it says, Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Have mercy on me. Hear my prayer. How long, O sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you love worthlessness? The word there in the Hebrew is vanity. How long will you love vanity and seek falsehood? But know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. The Lord will hear when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. You have put gladness in my heart more than in the season that their grain and wine increased. I will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Lord, tune our ears in today. Let us, let us hear the sound that David heard today. Lord, as he wrote this, as he wrote this song in the middle of, uh, of, his, of his own son taking the throne, in the middle of manipulation, in the middle of heartbreak, in the middle of betrayal, Lord, he sang out in his shame. Lord, hear us today. Let us hear, let us hear the sound that he heard, the sound of heaven, the sound, Lord, of, of you walking with us in the garden. And I thank you for it in your precious name. And everybody said, amen. There's a, there's a couple of themes here I want to point out. One is that the Lord hears the righteous when they call. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through today, the Lord hears you when you cry out. You can be assured in the middle of heartbreak and betrayal, Jesus says, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. He's still with you and he hears you when you're, call, when you're calling out to him. Secondly, the wicked are always seeking after falsehood or, or vanity. We shouldn't be surprised, the Bible says, that we shouldn't be surprised when they don't understand spiritual things, when they don't have a desire for spiritual things because they seek after falsehood. They're blinded to the reality of the gospel. They're blinded to the truth. And so David echoes that here, that they're constantly seeking after vanity. Thirdly, we'll lie down in peace. Twice, David talks about sleeping, meditating on, on his bed and lying down in peace, that you can lay down and sleep. You can rest. I, I think I said it last week, but, but if you find yourself not able to sleep, these are some great scriptures for you. You need to meditate on your bed on the goodness of God. That word meditate, uh, by the way, in the Hebrew means to commune with yourself. The word here uh, that's used, the Hebrew word that's used here in this psalm is to commune with yourself or to consult your own heart. So it's to meditate, to think back and meditate what is the Lord saying and doing in your life and to, to call yourself into a conference. Heather uh, watches this show. I forget, what's that show called? The Makeup Show? I forget what it a glow up or whatever, and in their British, where we need a conflab. I was like, "What's a conflab?" Some of you need a you need to have a conflab with your heart. You need to conference your heart and just uh, and have a conference. 
That's what it is. You need to have a conference with your heart and consult your heart. Anyway, that's not biblical, but that, that's a good, there's a good another word for you to use. You need to have a conflab with your heart. He says, I will lie down in safety. You're my joy. I will lie down in safety because he is my joy. And then he goes on to say that the Lord makes his glory shine upon us. The Lord makes his glory shine upon us. I want to pull out from this three quick things from this passage of scripture that I want to take a look at. Number one, the Lord is my righteousness. The, there's a term, the Jehovah Sidkenu, that God is my righteousness. It comes from Jeremiah 23 and verse 6. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteous Savior. It's everybody say imputed. That's a, that's a great doctrinal word you need to understand. Imputed righteousness, not my righteousness. It's a righteousness given to me by God. He has placed upon me his righteousness. I can't be clothed with righteousness until I recognize that I have none of my own. It's, it's important to recognize, as, as the Bible says, my righteousness is of filthy rags, but he clothes me just like the father and the prodigal son. He puts his robe around me and clothes me with his righteousness. 2 Corinthians tells me that for our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So he who was perfect, blameless, became sin for you and I. What, what does that mean? What's the, what's the result of that? That you and I, we don't have righteousness. We can't come before God and say, look at my good works. Look how holy I am. Look how righteous I am. It is the righteousness of Christ in our life. I cannot earn righteousness. I cannot earn his righteousness. He's freely given it to me, but I can be transformed by it. When he clothes me with his righteousness, I yield to the garment. I put on the garment of righteousness. Just like when you get up in the morning and you put on your clothes and you get ready to go out the door, you yield to the, those garments. You don't fight and resist and you yield to those clothes. You put on those clothes. You put on the garment. I was thinking about what it might look like if you didn't, but anyway, never mind. Don't do that. You put on the clothes, right? You put on the garment of his righteousness every day. Recognize the garment of his righteousness that's on your life. Stop struggling against your imperfections. Stop struggling against your weaknesses. Did you hear me this morning? Stop struggling against your weakness. The Bible says to cast them off. Actually, to lay them aside, to cast them off, to cast off those things that so easily en entangle you and stare. Cast, stop struggling against those things. Be clothed with righteousness. Put on the garments. Allow the garment of God, the garment of his glory, the garment of his righteousness to come on you. To wear it proudly. God says to be holy as I am holy. That word holiness, holiness is how you steward righteousness. Righteousness is freely given. You can't earn righteousness. You can't earn the righteousness of God's freely given to you. Holiness is what you do with it. Holiness is what you do with that righteousness, stewarding the righteousness of God in your life. Do you, do you cast it off? Do you uh, give in to the worldly things? Are you living a carnal life or do you live in the righteousness of Christ? In Romans, it tells us, for as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by one man's obedience, the many 
we're made righteous through Christ's obedience. I want you to think about that for a moment. Back, rewind the clock all the way back to the garden. And through one man, through Adam's sin, disobedience, sin began to be passed down from generation to generation. But the righteousness of God changes your and I's DNA. We've been made new creations in Christ that we're, we are now no longer having to operate according to that old carnal sinful DNA. He changes and transforms who we are step by step. It doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect tomorrow. When, when you receive Christ and he begins that work in your life, it's the process and, of change, that new creation. That's why, that's why we're going to talk about it here in a moment. That's why sanctification is so important. It's walking out the journey of holiness. It's that stewardship of the righteousness that Christ has given to you and I. Matthew 6.33 tells us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Why is that so important? Because what you seek, what you pursue is where you live. That's, it determines, Heather read it this morning, the things that you value. That's where your treasure is. That's where your money is. What the things that you value. So when you're pursuing, what you're pursuing in life will determine where you live. If you're constantly living and pursuing after earthly success and notoriety or thing, not that any of that's bad, but if that's your focus, right? If that's your focus, that's where you're going to live. That's why Jesus tells us, Matthew 6, 33, seek first, put these things first. It's not that success is wrong. It's not that notoriety is wrong. It's not that having a good family is wrong. It's not that wealth and all of those things are, are wrong, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all of these things. What happens? The alignment that happens when you seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, is now that you're stewarding holiness, not your own success. The Lord is my righteousness. Just say that with me. The Lord is my righteousness. Man, that takes the pressure off. I don't know about you, but I'm a perfectionist. Everything has to, and shh, don't laugh too much. <laughs> I'm a perfectionist. Every, I see every detail that if something goes wrong, I see it. If I come in the morning and there's a, there's a and, and Brandon can tell you this because he's probably already got a hundred emails from me this morning. Did you notice this? Did you notice this? Did you see that? I noticed every little thing. And, and if I'm not careful, I can drive people crazy because of my, my perfection. <laughs> Be quiet. You're supposed to be supportive. <laughs> she is, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so I have to be aware. My, I, I have this tendency to, to drive down that lane of perfection. And, and that, can go, that can fall into the spiritual matters as well. It's not just things in the natural. But I have to be, I have to be perfect. And if I'm not perfect, oh, my goodness. I didn't do it right. God doesn't love me enough. I, I didn't check the mark, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about this morning? And that's, that's not how our Father operates. Isn't it good to know that, that our Heavenly Father doesn't sit in heaven and, and take an account of every checkbox you missed and every scratch of surface, everything you did? Yeah, amen. <laughs> Why is that? Because I'm, I'm operating under His righteousness, not mine. I'm saved by his grace, his righteousness, not according to my works. Now listen, that doesn't give you a license to continue on. Now on the opposite, that doesn't give you a license to just do what you want either. Remember, holiness 
We just said it, holiness is stewardship of righteousness. So if you're not stewarding the righteousness that you've been given, okay, you got it. You know, there's in the mental health field, there's these things called OCDs. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. But you can go down this path. It's, it's, a, it's an imbalance. Perfectionism is, is an imbalance for me. I get that. I'm, I'm, I'm imbalanced. I got it. I'm a, it's an imbalance, right? And the same thing is true with grace and righteousness. Grace and holiness. You can have a spiritual imbalance that's unhealthy. You got to get pastoral help. Come on, don't shout me down and tell you the truth. You got to get in balance. There's a balance to that. Both are very real, but you can't live in a place of imbalance. Number two, that David says here, the Lord has set me apart. When you're in the middle of betrayal, when you know David's own son has betrayed him, manipulated the kingdom, when you're in the middle of betrayal, shame begins to rise up in your heart. And if you're not careful, shame will isolate you. You'll feel the weight of the shame. You'll feel the weight of that guilt, the condemnation, your own guilty conscience, your own shame. The history and the story that you've written against yourself will rise up and cause you to isolate. But that's not the plan of God for your life. And that's what David is talking about here, is that you don't have to isolate yourself. You need to recognize in those moments where you feel all alone, when you feel that maybe you've uh, messed it up somehow, Instead of recognize it as isolation, understand you're not alone, you've been separated. You're not alone. Jesus says, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. He's walking with you. Even when, even when your own son, your own children seem to turn against you, you haven't been isolated. You're not alone. He separated you. He's sanctifying you. He set you apart. Jeremiah, I've set you apart as a prophet to the nations. There's some things that you go through in this life that God has to pull you out of the crowds. He's got to take you into the Garden of Gethsemane where all of your followers, the people that you thought were closest to you, are back at the tree sleeping while you're pouring out sweat drops of blood. Sometimes you have to be pulled aside, not to be isolated, but to be separated. To be sanctified, to be set apart. God's pulling you out of, of maybe the carnality of this world. Maybe he's pulling you away from people that want to speak lies over your life. Maybe he's trying to get you away from those who are betraying you. First Peter 2.9 says that you're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a person, you're a people for his own possession, that you might proclaim the excellences, excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You've been set apart, you're called and chosen, set apart as a vessel of praise to God. Your life is a vessel of praise to God. I want to just think about the significance of that. When, when, you, when you want to isolate, when you feel shame, you can sing in the middle of your shame. David was writing the psalm, singing out to God in the middle of his, of his shame. Why? Because he knew that God had separated him. He was different. He was unique. He had a unique call on his life. And regardless of what was going to happen in the kingdom, God had ordered his steps. Whether God wanted Absalom to take the kingdom or not, God, David knew that God was ordering the steps of his life. 
So the next time you feel you're alone, look around you. You're being separated. You're being set apart. God's doing a work in your life. Ephesians 2.10 says that you're his workmanship. You're his workmanship. You're God's workmanship. He's creating in your life a miracle. Your life, your story is a miracle for someone. David's life, he sang in the shame, and he was a miracle. His life was a testimony of the handiwork of God. Your life is a testimony to the handiwork of God. It's the poema. It's the masterpiece, workmanship. You're God's poema, God's masterpiece. You know, the last thing you feel like when you're in the middle of a hardship, the last thing you feel like is like, I'm a masterpiece. What you tend to feel is I'm broken. I've been shattered. Life has happened. Take a look at what God's doing in your life. Those shattered pieces are coming together to make a masterpiece. God's building out of the ash heap of your life, just like with Nehemiah, out of the ash heap of your life, he's rebuilding the walls of your life. Remember what Deuteronomy says, you have been set apart as holy to the Lord God, and he has chosen you. He's chosen you from the nations to be his own special treasure. I don't know that we tend to feel like we're a treasure when things happen, but God says, you're mine, you're my masterpiece, you're my treasure. When life happens, if you go back again, and I, and I hate to repeat myself here, but if you go back to the garden, the very thing that the enemy wanted to work in, in Adam and Eve's life was doubt in who God said they were and who he said he was. Doubt in his word and doubt in their identity. When troubling seasons happen, you've got to remember who you are and what you were created for. When life happens, the very first thing you call into question your identity, and your purpose. So you have to remember, who are you and what you were created for? You're God's treasure. You're his masterpiece. And number three, David says here, you make your light, the, you lift up, I love this in verse six, you lift up the light of your countenance upon us. You lift up the light of your countenance upon us. The question that's being asked in verse 6, who will show us any good? Who will show me good? The word good there in the Hebrew is who will, who will show me favor? Who will, who will favor me? When you feel like the world's against you, the last thing you feel is favor. You feel like everybody's against you. You feel like no one wants to do you any good. And that's the question that was being posed. And David answers the question, Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. Lord, let the light of your glory shine upon us. In the, in the Old Testament tabernacle, the showbread was in the holy place by the menorah. The light would shine on the, on the bread. And it was called the bread of his presence or the bread of his face. And so when Jesus came, he said, I am the bread of life. That, what, what, what he was saying, it was a direct reference to the Old Testament tabernacle. I'm the bread of showbread. The, the Hebrew and the Greek are the same. It's I am the bread of presence. I am the, the face of God. All through the Old Testament, people were looking to see who's God. Who's, 
Let's see his face. Let's see his glory. And you see that even today. People all around us are looking to see God. Why, why do I exist? Why, what is my purpose? Who am I? Who's God? Well, the answer to that is found in 2 Corinthians. For God said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So when David says and sings his song about the light of his countenance lifting up upon us, we've seen the light of his countenance in the face of Jesus Christ. We see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. You and I can begin to look through the pages of his word, the word that became flesh and dwelt among us, and we see his glory in the scriptures. We see the glory in Christ's ministry. Everywhere we turn, we can see his glory around us. We can see his favor shining on us. You can look to your right and you can sh see his favor shining on you. You can look to your left and see his favor shining on your life. Even in the middle of betrayal, the favor of the Lord is shining on you. And we see that in the face of Christ. We're seeking after his face. We're looking to Jesus. Psalm 24, 6, it says that this is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. You know, it's easy to look to God and say, God, can you, can you just wipe out Absalom? Can you just, can you just take care of him? And was, would God be able to? Absolutely, he could. You know, can God take care of the problem in a moment? Absolutely, he can. But are we comfortable with just seeking his face? Are we okay with just saying, Lord, I'm good if I just can behold you. If I can just see your face, I'm good. Whether you take out my enemy, whether you fix the situation how I think you should or not. Lord, I just want to see you in the middle of this. Lord, I just want to see you in the middle of this situation. We talked about it last week, but it's in those places where we see him. That our lives forever change. We realize that it's not really about the trial. It's not really about the circumstance. It's not really about what we're going through. It's really about him. And he's changing and transforming our lives. Lord, let the light of your countenance shine on us. You know, it takes a moment to, to pause. We, t we talked about the communing with your heart. Verse 4 says, meditate within your heart on your bed. It takes, it takes time to meditate. You know, and, and by the way, let me just say this too. A lot, of, a lot of folks in the church world, you hear the word meditate. We think of this new agey idea of meditation. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not talking about going and burning your incense and some, having some alien experience. That's not what I'm talking about. Medita meditation is a biblical concept. Med meditation, to, to take time to press pause and reflect on what God is saying and doing in your own heart and life. We get really busy, you know, especially in the middle of trials. Let me just pause here and talk about just Can I just talk for a second? It, when we get in the middle of trials and tests, we... we we get busy, and the last thing we recognize, the last thing we do in the middle of it is press pause and reflect. What we want to do is fix. 
what we want to do is change. What we want to do is try to make it go away. But David says, I have to press pause and I have to meditate. I have to take time to look on his countenance. This isn't something that happens in a second. You have to take time to press pause and to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. You have to, you have to press pause, take time to gaze and what the Lord is speaking and saying and doing in your own heart. And a lot of times we want to avoid this because it means that we have to see the very thing that's frustrating us and causing hurt. Come on now, don't shut me down when I'm telling you the truth. When you start pressing pause and taking a look at what's happening in your own heart and your own life, what is the Lord speaking to you? Forgiveness. Oh, I don't know. I got to, let's get busy. I got something to do. I got I to go. No, no. Let's move on, right? I was talking with someone this week, a, a, a missionary, uh, this past week, and we were having a conversation. And uh, I said, well, so, so what are you going to do to move forward? What's it going to take to move forward? There was a lot of hurt. They'd been out on the missions field. And any, if anybody who's been in ministry knows, one of, one of my common catchphrases about ministry is, ministry is giving your heart away, and you have no idea how it's going to be given back to you. And it's, and it's true, it's especially true on the missions field. And... Um, they, they'd had a really hard situation. And so I said, so what's it going to take for you to move forward from that? And they, um, big old alligator tears just started bawling. I need to forgive. Okay. So when are you going to do that? Well, you know, when things happened... <laughs> And the, and the story went all the way back to the beginning. And I'm like, hold on a second. Hold on. Hold up. You just told me you needed to forgive. And now you just went all the way back to the beginning of your story. So I looked at him. I, you know me. I'm not going to let you off the hook. So I said, now, hold on. You said that you need to forgive. So what does that look like? You know, it was funny, two or three times they kept trying to, and I, so I finally just said, you know, I get the sense that you really don't want to forgive. You know, sometimes life happens and we don't want to press pause and zero in on those issues, but that's what, that's what meditating on, on the Lord will do. You take those quiet moments, you say, Lord, what are you speaking, what are you doing? And he'll begin to illuminate that word forgiveness and begin, or, or whatever it is, May, who, who knows, it could be anything. But the last thing we want to face sometimes is those hard things. But we can know in that moment the Lord is lifting up. It's, that's what David said. He's lifting up his countenance. The radiance of the Father is shining down on you in that moment. It's not God being displeased with you and telling you that you're a failure. It's his radiance shining down on you, helping you to get healing and move forward. It's recognizing his power in, at work in your life to keep you going forward not to keep you tied up in your past. David could have stayed tied up in, in his past with Absalom and the manipulation and the betrayal, but it was in this moment that he was able to say, the Lord lift up, he's lifting up his countenance. He's shining down on me. And lastly, number four, he has put gladness in my heart. I love this. 
He has put gladness in my heart. When I should be ashamed, when I should be fearful, when I should feel worry or anxiety or depression, the Lord has placed gladness in my heart. 1 Peter 1.8.9 says, Though you have not seen obtaining the outcome of your faith. Joy that it's, it's so full, it's overflowing in laughter and shouts of joy. And even that can't even begin to describe the joy that's in your life. God's placed that joy in your heart. That joy in your life. How is that? Joy is not the absence of suffering. It's God's presence through the suffering. God is joy. A fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Say it. A fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Yeah. Joy. The fruit of the Spirit, the manifest presence of God in your life, the work of the Holy Spirit in your life is joy. He wants to bring fullness of joy in your life. Now, think about for a second, you know, you have the fruit of the Spirit. One, one of the things when I talk about the fruit of the Spirit, you got love on one end, self-control on the other. Love on one end. You can understand joy. You begin to understand the joy of the Lord when you discover His love. When you get a revelation of who God's, God is, He is love, and the depths of His love for you, you begin to dive in to his joy. When you understand that for God so loved the world, not just quoting it as a scripture, not just reading it because somebody else said it, but when you really understand the depths that while I was still a sinner, God loved me so much that while I was still an enemy, that he died for me. When, when you get a revelation of that love, man, what joy. I can't help but laugh. When I think about who I was, and I, I, I laugh over, over who I was. When's the last time you laughed over your sin? Over your hang-up, over your issue? You just, I have the joy of the Lord over this. It's not going to get the best of me. My, that worry, that fear, not going to get the best of me. I'm going to laugh over this. I have the joy. Command yourself to be in a place of joy. I have the joy of the Lord. I'm going to live in his presence because in his presence is fullness, fullness. Say that, fullness. Fullness of joy. Not depleted. Not, not measured by what you're facing. Not determined by what you're going through. Fullness, eternal, unending, never dying fullness of joy belongs to you. It's in his presence. Love is the revelation. Now, let me talk about self-control. Because remember, it's the bookends, right? Self-control, self when you're, this is, this is James chapter 1. When you don't feel like being joyful, command yourself. It's a military, count it all joy. It's a military term. Command yourself to be in a place of joy. You will not allow yourself to go into the place of fear, worry, anxiety, whatever else. You will not. I will. I am commanding myself to be in joy. It's taking authority over yourself. Line, so it's self-control. Saying self, you will. We don't like that. We like to just emote. We like to emote everywhere we go. You know, we'd, we'd rather just be angry and sad and just emote. But the joy of the Lord is my strength. It's a fruit. So he builds spiritual fruit in our life. 
First Chronicles says, splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his presence. So when you look at the Lord and the light of his countenance is upon you, this is what David is saying here, that the light of his countenance has been lifted up against, uh, lifted up towards me. When I am in his presence, when I see his face, he puts joy when I see him, he puts joy in my heart. He puts joy in my heart. He puts gladness in my heart. I, Psalms 126 is one of my, one of my favorite. I'll, I'll worship team, y'all can come on back. Psalms 126 is one of my favorite scriptures on this. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. Why? The Lord has put gladness in my heart. No matter what you're going through today, he's clothed you with his righteousness. When the enemy tries to tell you what you're not, remember, he's clothed you. He's placed his righteousness upon you. He's put gladness in your heart. The countenance of the Lord is shining upon you today. Thank you, Jesus. Why don't you stand with me this morning? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your word today. Come on, can we just praise him? Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, no matter what we're going through, no matter what we're facing, that you're, you walk with us. Lord, you're walking with us. Lord, every step. Lord, in the middle of... of life and all that's happening, Lord, even in society today, Lord, you're walking with us. You're walking with us. Lord, we don't have to lie down in fear, but we find joy, Lord, as we meditate on you, as we see your countenance, where we can live in joy, live in a place of joy. Father, I pray for my friends who are here in the building today, those who are watching online, Lord, that this word would be reality for them today. Lord, they would see the garment of glory that you've placed on them, the garment of your righteousness, Lord, that they've been clothed with. Lord, they'll see their identity, their purpose found in you today. Jesus, we look to you, the radiance of the Father, the outshining, the glory, the countenance of the Father. Fill us with your joy, Lord. with every head bowed, eye closed. Just, if you're here this morning, you believe in Jesus, I just want you to pray silently there, your seat with me for a moment. But if you're here today, or you're watching online or listening, and you hearing this today, it's not by accident. The Lord has a plan and a purpose. Jesus has a plan and a purpose for your life. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one gets to heaven except through Him. He's the only way. He's the only way. The Bible tells us that there's no other name, there's no other person by which we can be saved. It's through Jesus. You say, Pastor, I've prayed a prayer before, but I don't know where I stand with, with the Lord today. I don't have peace with God today. Maybe you're here this morning, you're watching or listening, you're saying, you know, I don't, I don't know where I stand. I've, maybe you've never been in church. I don't know your story, but Jesus does. 
right where you're at. Right where you're at. Jesus, I need you to forgive me. Just ask him, Jesus, I need you in my life. I want to have peace with God today. I want to be at peace with you. I want forgiveness. Make me. Make me a new person today. I want to start fresh today with you. I want a relationship with you. Right now or wherever you're at, whether you're in the building or online, you just ask him right now. It's that simple. It's that simple. Now listen. Thank you, Lord. I want you to look at me. If you've prayed that, you said that, either in the building or online or you're listening, the Bible says that the Lord, right now, Jesus, has begun a transformation work in your life. All of the old story, all the old things, the Bible says he's actually forgotten them. As far as the east is from the west, you can't, you can't even recall them. You can't even bring them up. I want to encourage you. If you've said, Jesus, I need you to be Lord of my life. I need you to, I want a relationship with you. The next, very next step, you need to get water baptized. August 22nd, we have water baptism. It's a public, it's a public declaration. I'm following Christ. All things that used to be are no longer. I'm following Christ. You need to make that public statement. August 22nd is our next water baptism. You need to, you can just put it on a connect card or call our office if that's, if you're interested. Secondly, you need to be planted in church. You need to be planted in church, whether it's get in a small group, be in service, find a place to serve, all of those things. Get planted in church. Be surrounded by people who will encourage you in your relationship with Christ you're going to have questions and there's going to be people in this church that are going to help you with those answers it's a journey thank you jesus can we pray together this morning father i thank you for my friends my family that are here today let your blessing be upon them lord make your face to shine upon them let your countenance shine upon them lord i pray that everything that they set their hand to would be blessed lord that the abundance of your house would flow into every aspect of their life I thank you, Jesus, that you will open doors before them that no man can shut. I pray, Father, that you would go ahead of them and protect them, guard them in the rear. Lord, walk with them, beside them. Lord, that they'll know your goodness and your mercy. Lord, I thank you that this week, the divine appointments, Lord, to share their faith are before them. I thank you, Jesus, that they'll share the hope that they have this week. There will be someone, Lord, divinely crossing their path for a supernatural encounter with you. And I thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen, amen.